We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the end of the season is here. It is officially draft season, off-season, free agency time for the Pittsburgh Steelers to lost to the Buffalo Bills in the opening round of the playoffs. 34-17, is that the final? I think that was the final, 34-17. They lost by 14, I thought. So 31-17, maybe? Was it 31? Oh, that's right. The Bills missed the 27-yarder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had it in my head and already calculated it. Oh, they're going to double them up and nobody missed it. Um, So obviously, yeah, they, it could have been a little, a little uglier than it was, but uh, they, they hung in there for the middle portion of the game and, like, you know, put up a little bit of a fight as – you know, I never thought they were going to win, but uh, I think uh, to see that was probably a best case scenario. I feel like you could have, for it looked like it was 21 nothing. It looked like, all right, worst case scenario is about to happen. They're about to get absolutely smoked by a team that's definitely better than them. Buffalo screwed around in the middle portion of the game, but overall, Brad, I think it was it was about what we expected from that matchup, I'd say. Yeah, no, they, they, they did hang in. You know, what, they could have gotten totally just boat raced once it was ugly early and, and kind of thrown in the towel a little bit. They, they did not do that. Um you know, it was interesting. I, I I saw the Pickens quote about refs, refs, refs. I, yeah. I mean, Pat Frymuth fumbled the ball. I don't really know what <laughs> – I don't even know how that's arguable. So, anyway, I didn't even he know what – He fumbled the ball. Didn't they say he touched it while he was out of bounds? Yeah, it was his helmet, said? which I didn't see personally. And I We mean, never got a good replay of it, his helmet. Yeah. We only got a always... replay from behind his helmet. It was like, how is this helpful? We can't see the ball. Like, And the ball didn't seem to, like, change direction. Like, that's kind of – if you can't yeah, see it, it that's kind of right? what you look at. Right. So, anyway, I don't even know what he's really referring to. I, I guess there – there was the, the, the he's referring the, to the the hook at the end. The, the, the hook and the, the, the hit hook. on Josh Allen was not the biggest hit in the world. Like I get it, but I, I don't know. There there have been oh, in, yeah. in a year like this in the yeah. NFL, you're gonna need some far more egregious bad calls. Right. <laughs> right. The bar is so high right now. Yeah. Uh, you know. So anyway, uh, but no, but they did. They did. They hung in, and, and honestly, Rudolph, like you know, again, he wasn't perfect, but I think he continued to show that he is a, a capable backup in, in the NFL, which which mm-hmm. is something. Yeah, he wasn't the biggest. He wasn't like the biggest reason they lost. I mean, the the end zone interception definitely was a killer. Um, I know what he's trying to do there. It's more like I wouldn't make that decision than oh, such a bad throw. Uh, I understand what he's trying to do. It was a really good play by Elam. Like he, he you know, covered it very, very well. Um, it's just like they're not a serious team in Mason Rudolph. Like that's my thing. Like he he made a lot of throws. The receivers made a couple of nice catches, and the yak was obviously a big part of what their production was offensively when they did get things going. I will say, like timing wise, his release is very quick, and I always appreciate a quick release in a quarterback because to me, it just allows you to play on schedule like pretty often. Like guys can flash open for an instant, and he can 
he was fine, comfortable, like with those small bits of separation in the short areas of the field, just getting them the football. It really maximizes yards after catch too, when you can be that. It's not necessarily a very rare trait amongst quarterbacks, but I do appreciate that about him. Um, that's probably one of my, the things that impressed me the most about him, even in this game, but yeah, overall he was just fine. I mean, when, um, it was kind of frustrating that he wasn't better when he was kept clean because, um, PFF has him under pressure. Uh, you guys have him under pressure. Uh, even though he only held the ball 2.99 seconds, it's time to throw. He was still under pressure 43% of the time on, on those throws. He held the ball under still under just under three seconds, which typically those under pressure when you're under pressure, it's usually you're up there in the, in the threes holding the ball. So he wasn't even as holding the ball that long and yet was under pressure 43% of the time. So not exactly what you want to see two offensive linemen in particular had absolutely atrocious game. So yeah, I mean, he was good when he was blitzed. He got the ball out well. I thought that he played a pretty clean football game overall. One turnover-worthy play, obviously, in the interception. But overall, he was not the biggest reason that they lost. Do I want Mason Rudolph to be a part of this team's long-term plans as a quarterback? We'll talk about that later in the show. But he definitely wasn't the biggest reason that they lost. And so you can't really blame him, I think, for, for the failures. This team wasn't as good as the Bills. Like, let's just be honest. Like, we didn't expect them to win. For a lot of reasons, but number one is because they're not as good as the Bills. The hope is that you would be a good enough team that you would have to play a team like the Bills in the NFC or in the NFC Championship game. And if you were a better team process-wise, and Kenny Pickett would have been playing well and all of those things, then you're playing the Bills in a better game in a bigger game further down the line in the playoffs. But because you sneak into the playoffs as a negative point differential team without a great record and not having lost games, you definitely should have won. You end up in these matchups against teams that are just better than you, like both literally this season and even a probably a hypothetical version of what this team could be. They probably weren't going to be a better team than Buffalo. Um, we also have a bunch of like obvious data points to suggest it wasn't Rudolph's fault. I mean, the first being, you know, just bringing Pickens back up. I mean, his fumble was not a good one. And just immediately you get a terrible game script for Rudolph. And then the quote from Najee Harris, where Buffalo sits back in too high as much as any team in the league. They have been bringing Poyer down a bunch. He's kind of been playing like a little bit of like pseudo linebacker too, with all the injuries they've had. And they were saying, yeah, they were playing a bunch of single high, adding a guy to the box. And we still just ran the ball. And if you look at, there was a point through, I don't know if it was the first half or three quarters. We were chatting in kind of a PFF chat. Like, Rudolph was 6 of 7 for 87 yards on first down attempts, and the Steelers had 11 carries for like 29 rushing yards uh, on first downs. I forget at what point that was like the case, and it was like, did they realize they're averaging, you know, like over 10 yards per attempt on first down dropbacks, and they're averaging like 2.5 yards a carry uh, on, on first down rushes? Um, and... But again, though, like I'm not saying they should have abandoned the run, but you did. The game script kind of killed you. Um, but no, I mean, look, Rudolph, it was not the issue. There was so much otherwise going on um, that, that made it just kind of an insurmountable uh, lead to come back from. But, you know, the block kick was great. Classic Steelers. Like you talked about, you get a couple of those a year and it was a massive swing in the game because that also would have been. Um, that would was a difference. In the, right, right. So so anyway, yeah, two missed field goals, one blocked, one to 27 yarder. Uh, anyway, yeah, I mean that was the reason that the game was even remotely close was blocking the kick and then getting a thirty-three yard field and give him credit for scoring on it, but you know that was obviously a huge, like you said, swing in the game. Uh, yeah, the first uh, two or three drives of the game, the Steelers did not throw it all on first down. Obviously, they didn't get a first down either. I don't think on the, stri- the first drive of the game they got a first down, but they didn't throw on first down on any of those drives at any point. And yeah, it was like one yard, two yard um three yards like just looking through it then they threw on their first play of the uh, their third drive of the game 
and got the completion to Pickens for eight yards. Then he fumbles. So that's it for that drive. And then the next drive, Nick come out and run the ball with Jalen Warren. He got one yard. So one yard, two yard, three yards on their first four first down runs of the game, obviously running into those heavy boxes. Just absolutely no sense of you know, modern football. This is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. And then they finally come out on the drive where they actually go from their own eight-yard line and drive all the way down and throw the interception in the red zone. 33 yards to Fryermuth on a first down pass, 13 yards to Robinson on a first down pass. Then they've mixed it up a bit. Najee hits for nine. They come back and Rudolph ends up getting sacked, but they end up being able to convert that series. Then first down at the Buffalo 13, they run again for one yard. They get negative one yards on first and goal from the Buffalo three. So literally they were like one yard, two yard, three yard, one yard, negative one yard, one yard, and nine yards. Those were their first down carries in the first half of this game or the first quarter of this game. Just uh, So it was from a from a modern understanding of like what you should do in those situations, even from any understanding, honestly, but just from a modern understanding of what you should do against those box counts. It's just like so maddening. Like Canada would do it all the time, but it thought it had gotten better. And they just, they obviously didn't trust Rudolph a lot going into the game, which, man, that says a lot about what they feel about Kenny Pickett. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, there was just no way. Like they don't have the pieces that the important parts of your team that matter to be able to win this game. You have talent, a wide receiver. They screw up, you know, picking screws up at the beginning of the game. So even that's letting you down. And then, you know, he fall, fell down on another route that could have been a nice catch. Like, I don't know what he was doing for most of this game. And then offensive tackle, you have issues there. Quarterback, you're far from perfect there. So, yeah, it just was uh, – there was there was not much shot of them winning this game. Even with the run, like, they shouldn't have done it, but – and even with the heavier box counts, some of the things that we noticed in the tendencies, like, totally shut up. But The one particular to me was – I mean, as much as Ed Oliver was just manhandling Mason Cole as a pass rusher, he also was against the run, just getting upfield. Like, his run defense grade for us is terrible – uh, and if you look at him, I'd be surprised because he was like getting in the backfield. And a couple times they used that against him. But it was like I thought too many times they were basically like not taking advantage of knowing these these interior guys are just one gap and getting up field and using that against them on some sort of concept, a, a draw or a counter or something. Instead, it was just like. I don't know. There, there was a gap being vacated in the defense and they weren't taking advantage of that. And it just seemed – I remember midway through the first quarter, I was like, this is – it's kind of obvious what they're trying to do. And I think it played into the fact they, they they trusted the guys behind them and knew they had more, you know, second-level defenders to fill in. But, like, it just – you know, they, they didn't take advantage of what was happening in front of them, I thought, either. Yeah, I mean, there there was just nothing from a, from a game plan standpoint. If you asked you, like, what was their plan in this game, you just couldn't. You didn't know. Like there was just, I don't know what their plan was. Like they obviously wanted to run the football despite whatever the defense did. Outside of that, I don't know that they had any plan. Like they were just like, we're gonna run the football and hopefully we run it all the way down the field and mix in these short, easy passes for Rudolph. And you know, maybe we'll take a shot at some point in the game, although they they, they really didn't do that much in this game either. But yeah, I mean, there were some points late in the game when I'm like, oh my gosh, like if you don't throw the football down the field, I'm gonna lose my mind. Like it was just like you have to literally at this point. It's the only way you're going to win the game is if you get somebody that's going to throw the football down the field vertically. And obviously that's been a big reason of why they've even been you know, here in the first place is because Mason's been able to hit a couple of those throws. But yeah, you had three 20-plus air yard passes in this game. The one to Fryermuth was the only one that was completed, obviously. Uh, so yeah, it was just, I mean, almost everything was short. Like 40, I think, yeah, he had eight, Mason had eight attempt pass attempts 
between 10 and 19 yards down the field, three 20 plus yards down the field, everything else. So the other 22 attempts that he had in this game were behind the line of scrimmage or in the short area of the field. So it was just dink and dunk in the past game. And then it was, we're going to try and pound the ball, the ball into this box uh, relentlessly, no matter what, especially on first down and just consistently put your quarterback in third down. So it was from a process standpoint. Yes, it was bad, but I'm not like naive enough to think that, Oh, if it was better, they would have probably won this game because I just don't think they're even as good as Buffalo. So it's kind of all against them. It's not, not just going to blame coaches, but that was obviously is a big part of it. When you look at the process, that's bad. It tends you tend to just think, okay, no matter what happens, like changes with the players, even if they were as talented as Buffalo, they probably weren't going to win this football game because of those things. So it's, it's a little bit of everything for sure. Yeah. And like I got asked this morning on, you know, Pittsburgh radio about the whole, what was it their first team in the NFL history to allow 30 plus points in like five playoff games. I mean, look, yeah. I'm not saying the, the game plan was perfect, but you have guys missing tackles like mm-hmm. left, right and center. I mean, T- Tomlin can't wrap up for these guys. Like, the Khalil Shakir touchdown was like embarrassing. Even from Minka, who had a good game, had a couple yeah. splash plays, had the tackle for loss. His effort on Khalil Shakir was not good enough. And then, I mean, Michael Walker and his ankles are still on Highmark Stadium field right now. Uh, you know, just just frozen in time on that on that ice covered field. So yeah, no, like you can't. You know, Pat Pete obviously, um, whatever touch was that? Who's, I forget who scored on that one. But I mean, Pat Pete got a couple times in that game. It was like just the worst tackling effort you've ever seen so oh my gosh yeah and that's the frustrating part of this game if there is one like i'm watching obviously with my wife and my father-in-law and they're diehards i mean they're just like you know very frustrated obviously and i'm just kind of like like i don't know what y'all expected like i didn't expect i didn't expect them to even be like this game to be interesting in the third quarter so like I actually was feeling pretty good. I was like, oh, it's interesting. But it is kind of disappointing. If there's one thing I would say is disappointing outside of like the big picture stuff that we're about to talk about that's disappointing. If there's one thing disappointing about this game, it's that the quarterback wasn't the biggest reason why. Yeah, and, right. And you know he's not the answer, right? Like if if that was the biggest thing, you could just be like, well, we weren't good enough for quarterback. We know that going into the offseason. We're planning to address that, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what that plan is, first of all, but second of all, yeah, it's it, the fact that that wasn't the biggest issue. I'm not saying it wasn't an issue. Obviously, Josh Allen being clearly better than Mason Rudolph was a big reason why Buffalo won, but it wasn't like the biggest issue on this team. And so how slow and how old they look defensively outside of their front was brutal. And I know there's been injuries there, but they their secondary like choices have just been – I mean, Minka, yeah, he missed that tackle, and but he made – so yeah. many others coming downhill that they've missed all season. Like he was still a difference maker in, in a positive sense for a lot of that game too. But the Pat Pete, the KZ, like it's just got to get all of it out next year. Like you can't be serious. These are not, this is an unserious secondary with those guys in it. And you just knew it was only a matter of time before that kind of stuff got exposed again. So that, that stuff, the other stuff, right? The Mason Cole, the Broderick Jones of it all, like the George Pickens mistakes, Fryermuth fumbling, even if it didn't get overturned, like just guys who weren't in it, you know what I mean? And that was frustrating. The Steelers defensive line continues to be the only group that really comes to play and plays consistently well every week. Um, And a lot of that is coaching, I think. A lot of that is putting players in positions to succeed. We're going to talk about how that's been a failure this season, but I I think the most frustrating part of the game is that Macy Rudolph wasn't the biggest reason why you lost and you would have loved for that to be, if you were going to lose that being the case, it would have been easy to, okay, cool. Well, we'll, we'll turn it. Everything else looks good, but it wasn't. And so that's probably the most frustrating thing. Yeah. Just the last piece before we jump in, like you talk about, you know, I mean, the lack of consistency goes to, again, like they can win every, any given Sunday and they can lose any given Sunday. And obviously they, they win more often than they lose, but 
the defensive line really is the only unit where you at least know, again, you never know, know what you're getting per se on every single game, but like you could literally, the, the variance in the outcomes of every other unit on, on the team is as wide as humanly possible. Even the good players, like the receivers, you can either have Deontay and Pickens go for 202 scores or fumble the ball and throw their helmet five times on the sideline. And then, but yeah, I mean, the linebacker play, whatever the corners and the safeties, I mean, I mentioned Michael Walker, but but Mark Robinson and and uh, Miles Jack both had some what do we call them clown plays? They both they both made the clown play uh, list for sure. It's just like yeah, it's just a lack of consistency when you don't know what you can rely on, what you can like hang your hat on. It kind of spills out too because then other guys like it is especially on defense. Like this is a team sport. Like knowing where everyone else is going to be or having a general idea of what they're doing helps you accomplish your job as well. And there was just so much of just like. What, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it was interesting from the outset. I mean, Eric Rowe was starting in the slot kind of as like a box, another box player. They rotated all four of these linebackers a ton. Shannon Sullivan, even though he's been probably played his best football of the year last month, was demoted. I think he only had 20 snaps. Eric Rowe had like 57. Rowe did have a nice pass deflection in the middle of the field. I will give him credit for that. He was in on some tackles, graded pretty well PFF-wise. There were a couple of plays I thought he just looked done, which he probably will be after this season. Like, there's some guys here that will retire, like, I mean, or will not play again in the league that we're playing in this game. Like, we should just point that out. And Miles Jack basically was retired. Oh, like, oh, yeah. he's playing yeah. <laughs> He's playing 26 snaps in this game. Like, there's a lot of that, like, where you just – I wonder how many players – like, Mike Al Walker was not on a roster, I don't think. So – you know, we're taking all this to the grain of salt. This was not the full strength unit for the Steelers. Um, I will say just positives because I know we're not going to spend all of our this show on this game. But Landon Roberts' pass breakup on the goal line <laughs> against Kincaid, I think it was, was just an unbelievable play. Like, and that's like not even supposed to be his game. Like, that's not even supposed to be what he does best. And he's down the field 20, 30 yards getting his head around and breaking up a pass at the goal line for a guy, a very athletic tight end. That was just a crazy play. I love Alan Roberts. There's one positive thing that came out of the season. It's that he needs to be on this team and starting next year. And I get it. There's still going to be like, I, I'm sure the wheels come off at some point for a guy with the, his the limitations that he has, but he's just a ball player. He can blitz. He hits, he plays the run. Well, he's been way better in coverage than anyone would have assumed at this point. I just don't know why you don't you wouldn't keep running that back until it blows up in your face because he's been that good, I think. And, you know, you just get Holcomb back. Maybe, maybe this can be something here. But um, the overall, the secondary just needs so much work. And that was, again, obvious in this game. Yeah, no, Roberts did have a good game. We should highlight that. We're talking about the back seven. Uh, and like you said, most of these guys, not even starters. No, the, the pass breakup on the almost second touchdown to Kincaid, um, you know, over the middle in the end zone was a phenomenal play. He had a big... Uh, you know, tackle for loss as well on a like a James Cook kind of toss. I think it was to the left, and, and Roberts just blew up, um, not blew up a blocker, but just like very cleanly scraped across and and got up into the backfield. So yeah, he's a fun player. Uh, he's him and Holcomb in theory could be a great duo, but there's still so much more work to be done in, in that back seven. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, lots of work to be done. That group still needs, I mean, obviously you've got two really good players, so I don't think it's like it has to be this long turnaround. You get one quality corner, and it, I mean, you could find a, another safety to play in this group. Like, just don't go to the bargain bin, oldest dudes in the league category that nobody wants, and you can find somebody to play that role for you um, defensively. But they just weren't able to do that this offseason. So that's one of the places I'd look on this roster, obviously. We're going to get into some of that. One other thing I wanted to point out from this game, I just continue to be so frustrated by their inability to just properly identify who their best players are, who should play the most, that their rookies could be a part of this this equation in a positive way. Um, Broderick Jones was absolutely terrible playing on the right side. He says after, you know, they're in the locker room today with him, and he says, yeah, like I'm, you know, that's definitely not the side I feel most comfortable on. I feel way more comfortable on the left side as adjustment. I hope I get to play on the left side next year. It's just like, <laughs> this is a disaster. Like, how are you not getting your first round rookie that you traded up for reps on the side that he is going to play for the rest of his career and that he feels most comfortable with when your left tackle's trash? Like, it just it doesn't make any sense. There's just That's too the cra- It's Garbage. the craziest part about it. It's the cra- is this stuff does happen. For example, you look at even this draft class. Like, DJ Humphreys is a good left tackle. So Paris Johnson comes in and they're like, obviously he's played both sides and, and whatnot. But like you say, okay, that you know, look, this is a guy that's on like a 17 million a year deal. He's not perfect, but he's a good player. We get it. You're replacing a guy or you should be replacing a guy who's a below replacement level left tackle or maybe yeah. at replacement level. If you want to be nice, like that's the craziest thing about it. Like, and you and I like Marcus Golden as a rotational piece. Like, but still, the split between him and Herbig made no sense. You and I like Elgin Joby and some other pieces there. But still, I mean, Kevin Benton was our highest graded Steelers defender in the entire game. Um, and I, when I watched the tape, it, I, I agreed with that anecdotally as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like that is the crazy part. It is, and you talk about you know Levi Wallace and JPJ. Like go down the list. Like it's not just that we're saying throw the rookies in and let them sink or swim. The the alternative isn't good. <laughs> like yeah. the alternative isn't even average. And even at least in the case of Ogan Joby and Golden, like they both are like solid players. Ogan Joby said his ups and downs are Golden's been solid. But why does Golden at his age and what he's played this season, his workload this season, need to play 51 snaps to Herbig's 20? Why like why does that need to happen? That doesn't make any sense. Herbig had two pressures. He got seven pass rush opportunities in the game. Seven. He had two pressures. Like that is a guy that could change the game with a play. We've seen it happen this season and you're not letting him on the field. And Keanu Benton, I mean, oh, consistently behind Ogan Joby, obviously, but yeah, two pressures and 11 pass rushes for him. He played 33 snaps to Ogan Joby's 50 in this game. And that just doesn't need to happen. Like you can play Keanu Benton at any of these techniques on the defensive line and he will, he will ball out. And when Hayward wasn't out there, they were using him and he was playing great football. And it's like, they watched that happen and they were just like, when Hayward comes back, we're putting you back in a more limited role. And it was just, how? 
Like, I don't understand. Like, do you not? Like, it's like they don't understand football. And it goes back to the JPJ thing, too. Like, Dave Joy Porter Jr. this whole time. And they're like, oh, he's not ready to play. 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 And Levi Wallace out there getting destroyed every week, getting destroyed. And worst corner in the league stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, JPJ's ready. And then, like, two weeks later, he's covering number ones all over the field. Like, you were just wrong. He was ready. You should have played him. And you didn't. And it cost your team. And like that kind of stuff, like that was like, I was, this hasn't even been like, I've been a long standing gripe against Steelers coaching staff for like game management and lack of aggressiveness and their refusal to accept analytics and some of that stuff, the lack of structure, which we're going to talk about too in locker room and all that. Like I've long been on them for that and saying this team needs something different now, but this new thing where they can't even evaluate the players on their own team. And it's not one example. It's multiple examples with no other explanation other than just a lack of awareness and understanding of who your own players are. That is just like the, one of the most concerning things to me right now with this team is that like, if you can't identify those things, you can be have all, get all the other stuff, right. But if you can't get the best players on the field at the right times on the, during the game and in the right roles, I'm sorry, it's over for you. Like you can, if you can't do that, that has to be the base, the core of what a coaching staff does in the NFL. I get that's very base. That has to be like one of the primary functions that you can do that with your own roster. And at the NFL level, that's usually not that hard to do. There's not a lot of guys that are clearly better than other players playing less when you look around the league. Like I cover literally three other teams every week. And like my biggest argument this year, oh, maybe the Lions should play Craig Reynolds more because David Montgomery is good, but Craig Reynolds might have something. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like, and David Montgomery is still like a very good player. Like obviously he's been very valuable for them. And so anyway, like, that's the, like, I watch these other teams and these kind of questions don't come up. And then with Pittsburgh, it's just like, they're lost on how to evaluate their own personnel. And so that part just, I can't get over how frustrating that part was, even in a game like this, where I don't know if they win, if they do something different, it just isn't good enough to be able to think about your own and be able to have such a limited understanding of how to use your own players. I also just don't understand to, to a degree, like appreciating that you're playing with house money. And that goes back to even just like the Ravens game and stuff like that. Like, I was going to text you. The first Herbig pressure was an awesome play where he's like standing up, mugging the B gap on the same side as Alex Highsmith. He runs like a a, a loop. Um, and it was like a Tampa two type look. And they almost, he almost caused interception like uh, 25 drops in coverage run, you know, runs up the seam and it almost picks it off. Like because Herbig is in Josh Allen's face. So you're sitting there being like, okay, they're moving him around. They're getting different looks with him. They're getting creative with how they use him. He probably didn't play another another pass rush snap for for a quarter. Like it, it's just it was just wild. Like I, it gave me the sense of like okay, they get it that he can do different things. You, it was a great sim pressure because they also brought like I think a nickel blitz or somebody else came from the other side, and then like, you just you just don't see him again for a quarter. It, it's it's very strange. Very weird. It it feels like they're just like, no, we just have a cap that we're like keeping these guys on and they're just not going to play more than that because they're young. Like, and it's just like this stuff was outdated. <laughs> it's been outdated for 10 plus years of the league. Teams aren't doing this anymore with rookies. Like they know the guys are ready to play. And it's like the Steelers just caught in the stone age of just like, no, they got to prove it. Let them get a year under their belt and then we'll give them snaps. It's like, this is insane. Like this is to the detriment of your team. You're doing this. And you know, we've talked about it with other positions as well, but those rookies are just the one that stands out the most to me. Just very, very frustrating. Um, so that probably moves us into, by the way, uh, you mentioned, I'm, I did say we would talk about the two offensive linemen. Broder Jones, five pressures allowed in this game, gave up a sack. Mason Cole got to six pressures. I don't think he really won any reps in pass protection. 
I mean, Ed Oliver had nine pressures, and I think all nine of them may have been just beating Mason Cole. It it was, yeah. I'm sorry, a D tackle getting nine pressures, you got to retire, dog. Like, that is terrible. Yes, yes. Unlike, what, 40 drop packs? Like, you're you're letting a D tackle get a 25% pass pressure or pressure rate, probably at a higher pass rush win rate. Yeah, that's uh, not great. It's not great. Oh, that is so bad. Oh, man, that's terrible. So, yeah, anyway, um, I think that, those two positions, we're going to talk about those positions for sure. I mean, the Mason Cole stuff just can't be, can't go on another year. It's it's like the Dan Moore stuff. Can't go on another year. Like, we got to be done. Like, I get it for a while. No, I don't get it, but <laughs> got to be done. Um, okay, let's jump into this in the second half of this podcast. People don't necessarily need to hear us talk about this um, this game, I guess, super in-depth. I mean, we kind of even – one more positive thing I'll say, actually. Uh, I thought we mentioned the D-line, but just specifically – Cam Hayward just looked very good again. You know, we starting to find his legs as a pass rusher in this one. Had a couple pressures. Mentioned Benton looking really good. He was maybe, I mean, you guys, I think, did grade him. Yeah, you did. BFF, best defensive grade on the team, 80.2 and an 88.5 pass rush grade. Live, I was thinking he was one of the best players out there defensively, and I'm glad that the tape uh, seems to have backed that up. I'll get to it, hopefully, if we get it. <laughs> we still don't have the tape. I think our con- my contact is is stuck in the snowstorm somewhere. Um, Armand Watts, uh, tw- t- 13 snaps in this game, but like continues to grade really well for y'all, continues to flash. When I watch him, I've mentioned him a couple weeks ago, he's a guy I would want to be have back here as a, in a rotational depth role, especially, obviously, if Hayward does decide to retire. Um and then Herbig, when he played, even Golden was fine in this game. Highsmith, I think, was thought was good in this game. The big negative play for Highsmith was missing that tackle for a loss to turn into like an eight-yard gain. That one was killer. Got to, got to make that play, no doubt. But process-wise, you know, I thought Deion Dawkins is probably one of the better left tackles in the league. Um, and Highsmith, I thought, gave him a good battle all night. He, he, they both won their fair share of reps. Um, Highsmith, I think, officially got three uh, pressures in a sack. But he, he made Dawkins work all night for sure and um, forced down to be getting the ball out pretty quickly. So I thought those guys stood out again, the defensive line. I mean, running back with this group next year, if you have it um, another year of development for Benton, I think like this could be one of the better groups in the league still, but everything else was just other than the Landon Roberts, my King was just <laughs> pretty questionable. So any other thoughts on this game before we jump into some of the bigger picture stuff? Yeah, I'll just throw in. So you mentioned the six pressures for Mason Colby of four other snaps where he was beaten by the defender, but the defender did not register a pressure. So, like, he lost 10 reps out of 38 or whatever <laughs> whatever it was. Well, like, straight up just, like, lost him bad. And I think there's, like, some people who, oh, did you win the rest? There's, like, slide protection. You're helping out right. somebody else. You're uncovered sometimes. There's, like, a lot of gray area. But, like, to lose 10 reps as an offensive lineman, like, that decisively is. I mean, an eight. 0.5 pass block rate like it's it, it is funny you say that like yeah it's it, it low uh no it's a good point like zeros are still 70 percent of snaps guys just get zeros which sounds weird i get that but it's just like kind of how you might you just might not win or lose a rep uh you know on a lot of nfl plays yeah man darnell washington two penalties in this game too is also one of the lowest graded Steelers. actually still kind of Again, another rookie. I'm just like, oh man, I hope he gets with an OC next year that lets him like run around and catch a ball. That'd be really cool. Like, I'd love to see if he can do that <laughs> because he did it at Georgia when they asked him to. Um, so I'd be be amped to see his usage pick up in the future. Uh, this team still desperately needs a third wide receiver. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. That was again obvious in this game. Allen Robinson just can't really do anything, and they did play Calvin Austin more in this game once they got away from even trying to run the football. 
uh, once they were getting blown out. And, um, you know, Austin did catch the touchdown, but overall, like there hasn't been any production from that group consistently this season. And so uh, they definitely are going to be in the market for that. And I think I actually have a couple names I'm excited to talk about on a later show that I would like them to be interested in a wide receiver, which brings us to our second half of the podcast converse topic of conversation. What do the Steelers most need to prioritize in this organization this offseason? What needs to change the most? What needs to be added? What do they need to do the most this offseason? What should their list of priorities look like going into the offseason? We've both made a list of three things, but we also don't want to overlap too much. So if we do overlap, that's fine and because we're probably going to. And we will kind of pull in some backup options then um, for us. So I'll let you go first here. What do you think the Steelers most need heading into the offseason? What should be their top priority as an organization? Yeah, I think the biggest one I'll start with, and it, 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 you know, I think even more so arguably than quarterback and all that, is just getting a legitimate offensive coordinator in, in this building. And you have teams that are now undergoing these processes. You know, my Bears have now interviewed five different people uh, to be the new OC. Should they have fired the whole coaching staff? Conversation for a different day. But, um, like, it is a huge offseason of change. There's so many jobs available. Um, but there are legit candidates that are out there to be to be brought in as OC. And I do think in the game of musical chairs, when some guys don't get head coaching jobs, um, but potentially return to be, you know, OCs or pass game coordinators underneath offensive head coaches, they might be open to becoming an OC uh, in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, it, it build out the entire offensive coaching staff, but um, go after a legit OC that has people that want to work with him or let him build out his whole staff. Um, and, and actually empower that group and, and let them do their thing. Do not be hamstrung or have Tomlin telling them when to call plays or to call the run game or like truly just pass off a side of the ball um, to a legitimate group of people. Yeah, that's obviously the top one on my list as well. And I'll come in from a couple of angles here. Obviously, there's going to be this question of what's going to happen with Tomlin um, going into the offseason. There's been this talk. Uh, actually reported by almost everybody at this point that he'll consider taking some time, maybe stepping away after the season that he'll uh, think about setting out a season of coaching, ask for a trade one year left on his contract. He refused to answer the question. They asked him at the presser after the game and he literally just walked out. Um, so don't know what that means or why that question was, I guess, timing, you know, you're not going to want to talk about that after a playoff loss, but, I don't know. That's kind of the kind of the kind of the job. You gotta have to do that if you don't. It just spurs on more speculation, which it has. So obviously that's a big question mark. If and when Tolman does decide to step away, like we can address that another time. Just assuming because we know that from the reports that they're not gonna fire Tomlin, which would obviously be my first move that I would make is, is just bringing in a new regime completely. Since that's not gonna happen then it has to be offensive coordinator, right? Like and it has to be I mean, Tolman has to nail the sire. Now, if he does that can legitimately keep you afloat as a head coach. I mean, Todd Bowles is a great example of this, right? Like he was uh, he was dead in the water coming into this season for sure. And he went with an OC that never called plays before in Dave Canales and took a shot. And it was bumpy at first. It was bumpy for a while. And Canales has figured out some things and has this group playing well, well enough to win the division and win a playoff game. They're in the divisional round. Bowles' job is completely safe as far as I would assume. Um, and so it has really changed and turned things around. Just biting on that hire, really. And Baker Mayfield, you know, helps to have a, a mid-tier quarterback too, but he is a mid-tier quarterback at best. And so those kind of moves, I think, can really 
elongate, like they can extend a coach's stay if he's able to hit him. So this is an opportunity for Tomlin for sure to be able to get this right, um, to not go with a retread and somebody like that. But I think to go with somebody new, innovative, exciting, that understands play sequencing a little bit better, but also I think that really has a strong sense of what the offensive identity should be and how it should be built around the pass. Uh, you're not going to be successful in the NFL very long in today's league if you are not built around the pass. Um, and so you have to have a great passing game. That includes your route concepts, your spacing, how you get to those concepts, the play action game and how it marries with all of that is really important. Um, how you want to live personnel wise, especially based on the personnel the Steelers have, like, how are you going to maximize each player's individual traits and, and gifts and abilities that you need somebody who understands those things at offensive coordinator. If you can hit that higher, that really could change things in Pittsburgh. Even if I still will feel the same, the way I do about the Tomlin era, like that really is, is critical. I don't trust Tomlin to make that higher, which is a big part of why I want to move on from him. But that is one thing I think like that it looms over this entire off season that you have to talk about is, is that, specific need that specific priority for the team and i put it above quarterback and draft uh quarterback uh acquisition because it has to come first right you can acquire a quarterback realistically a quarterback the steelers are probably going to be able to acquire and they're going to need that oc to be really good in order to be maximized in the nfl there probably aren't a lot of justin herberts that they're going to get this offseason that you could have a meh oc and still be really good that's where i'm coming from too is that like it's much easier in theory to, to figure that out. You mentioned Dave Canales, you know, who comes in the bucks. I know it's Tom Brady to, to Baker Mayfield, but changed the entire offense. I mean, they were dead last in play action rate. They were first in the NFL this year near the bottom of the league in motion top, I think seven or eight this year, um, just catering everything to Baker's strengths. And also talk about game plan specific against this Eagles team. That's a good run defense. Canales had one of the higher run rates in the NFL. There was 75% pass rate on, on early downs uh, in that game last night. Like a yeah. guy that changes what he's doing on a week to week basis because he has a functional plan. Um, and he's not perfect. You know, you obviously watch the team closer than I do, but um, there, there have been moments in some games where I'm like, okay, you can kind of tell this guy is a first year OC, some of the sequencing in particular. Um, but in, 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 in that playoff game, not only the sequencing, but also the design I thought was was great. It wasn't just breakdowns from Philly. I mean, they literally couldn't tackle, which is never good. But guys are running open. You're getting growth from young players like a Trey Palmer, I think, is playing better and better every week you watch him play. Kate Otten starting to flash a little bit. Like, that ties the coaching staff. And, and so, yeah, of course it'd be great to, oh, we're going to trade up and get the third quarterback off the board at, at 12th overall. Like, sure. But, like if you don't have a functional offensive coaching staff, it doesn't really matter. So the last piece I would say too is masking the negatives as much as accentuating the positives. The, the best OCs I think right now are also covering up the, the issues, like covering up the Mason Coles. You're never going to have perfect 11 players on the field, but the personnel is good enough in Pittsburgh for them to have had a top half of the NFL offenses here, even with the quarterback play. I think you could make that argument. I mean, there are teams that would die for the wide receiver duo that you have in Pittsburgh and the running back duo and a solid tight end in Pat Frymouth. Like it's it's not crazy to say that, but you were just doing nothing to mask your deficiencies, to get easy plays, to make things, you know, simple for your passer, whoever whoever it was, and, and a good OC in theory would, would bring that to the table. Yeah. So that's obviously definitely the top need. Uh 
quarterback uh draft and trade i'm gonna go to you that way brad how about that i love it you know keep picking around like why not it's like the best asset that you have um i don't really care what you do with rudolph like you can i i would just we'll probably let him go at this point um because with Pickett, it's like okay there's still like you draft the guy at 20 you saw him play one game without matt canada there is like still this even if i think it's like a 0.1 percent chance or something there still is like a chance i feel like that he could develop into something or be an asset like maybe jumps in starts a couple games for you and plays well if you get a real good oc in here maybe he gets reaches a baker mayfield level of play at some point in his career and you can move him or something like that like so i'm fine with still keeping him obviously he's guaranteed right so like there's no he's gonna be on the roster so yeah, yeah. um i want to I want to trade for a quarterback. I think I want to find out what Geno Smith's going on. What's going on in Seattle, Brad? Like interesting. I mean, I don't know why they would feel like inclined to move on. You know, they don't, they don't pick early. I still think Geno's good. I, he played with quietly some of the worst pass protection in the entire league this year. I felt oh, Geno's um, good. Yeah. 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 Maybe, but I guess the, the, the coaching hire maybe depends. I saw they just announced they're bringing in Ben Johnson. Uh, I think he's getting interviewed from every single uh, team in the cycle. Uh, I look, if Geno's available, yeah, I mean, I, I pull that trigger in a millisecond. Yeah, I mean, that that's one that catches my eye just because, well, if there's a regime change there, if they hire Ben Johnson and he's like, no, I don't, you know, I don't more with Geno. I'm sure he would, but, I, you know, if they hire somebody else, like, I don't know, and Dan Quinn or something, and he's like, oh, or they're, or they're just like, we're we're starting over. You know, we're going to kind of blow this thing up and, and you know, we don't have the, the guy that believed in Geno the, the way that Pete Carroll did. So now we're going to go another direction. Shane Waldron's not going to be there if, if all this is hypothetical. But those are, those are I would be looking at that if I were Pittsburgh. I'd be looking at Waldron. I'd be looking at, at Geno Smith. Um, you, you know, you only have so many options, I feel like, if you're Pittsburgh. Baker's not going to go anywhere. So that's not really an option for you. You know, I think you have to look at the Kirk Cousins thing and do your due diligence, and I think they will. But free agency-wise, you're probably not going to find that much. So you might have to go the trade route, and then it becomes, okay, well, something always shakes loose. We always think going in the offseason, oh, there's nothing going to be there. Something always shakes loose. I'm not saying it's going to be an Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford-level player, uh, but I'll be very interested to see what happens in some of these spots. I don't think the Cowboys do anything with Dak Prescott. I don't think the Eagles do anything with Jalen Hurts or anything like that uh, is on the table. But – I'm just I'm curious. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep all the trade options open. They need to be the most aggressive team in the league if somebody's available. Like most aggressive team in the league, I'd say. I also want to draft one. So probably has to happen in the first round. Um, so that is definitely where I'm most inclined right now. Um, to be able to draft as a quarterback. Now we are a long way from saying how we feel about these quarterbacks, scouting them all, watching them all, saying who's even gonna be available at that portion of the draft. Is anybody gonna be worth the pick? So I'm not saying that in this draft they need to go ahead and draft a quarterback. I'm saying that in a hypothetical draft, were there a quarterback available in the range? What what pick do they have? 19? It should be something like that, yeah. 20. I, I can look. But, um, yeah, if if that were available, then 20. I would want to – What are they, 20? Yep. So if they if there's a quarterback there or then striking distance that you can jump up for, you know, it costs you – what they would Broder Jones cost and jump up a couple spots? A fifth not or something? Much. It was a 17 to 14, right? Something like that, yeah. I think I don't, I don't think it costs them much a fourth or a fifth. So, I want to I want to go down that yeah, route. Yeah. One twenty overall. So yeah, late fourth, fourth, late fourth, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, mid mid to late fourth. Yeah. So that's 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 what I want to do. Um, if if I can get two guys in the building, I want to start over at that position and Pickett can compete and he can get better and they can evaluate him. But I don't want to rely on Pickett to start. And then I just don't. It's not nothing against Mason. It's just like where I'm trying to go at the quarterback position. He just isn't a factor in that. Like, 
So it's nothing against him necessarily. It's just like he doesn't have any value to me. Because if he comes in and plays the way he did this season, I still know he's not the guy. Like that's not going to change. And we're like, what, a seven-win team, an eight-win team? I mean, the point differential they had this year, you're probably more of the point differential of like a seven-win team than a 10-win team. You factor in some regression there, and you're probably a seven- or eight-win team with Mason playing the way he played this year next season. And so I just am not that interested in being that kind of team. I want to be either terrible or or really good, and so I'm going to take my swings at those. That's how I see the offseason at quarterback for the Steelers. We can get into more specifics with names later, unless you, unless you have somebody or whatever, but that's just how I see it. I was going to just say I agree with you in that if you're not developing or if you're not solving the – finding the answer to the question, who is going to be the quarterback of the future, it does not matter. And we already know the answer to is Mason Rudolph the quarterback of the future of this team. The answer is no. They they told you that answer. Also, like I, I said he was a – should be a backup in the NFL on, on Pittsburgh Radio this morning as a compliment, uh, and, and I got bashed. But, like, please, Steelers fans, watch another team play a game, like, one time. I, like, I, Yo, I know, like, like, for God's sakes. Like, I, it was literally the nice thing I could say about him. And I was like, he's a starter. He should go He should go to whoever will pay him the most and start him. Like, okay, well, that's the St. Louis Battlehawks. So, good luck to him. It's um, so funny that people think somebody's going to pay Mason Rudolph to come be their starter next year. The team That's just not going to happen. As it was a third stringer. They took him in the third round. Anyway, um, I would just throw into, I agree if you're there at 20, in the picket spot, as they call it. Uh, take a guy that you like if they're there. But Bonix is a solid prospect to me. I don't, I don't know if I'm as high in him as others, but I also would just say I like the second wave. And I know it's, you know, the Mason Rudolph range, you know, 100 to 120, whatever. But I think Michael Pratt out of Tulane is a good football player that I could see being a guy that develops into a pretty good NFL passer, um, has the size and the tools and all that stuff. So anyway, we don't, we'll get into that later on. But yeah. I would just add in, I'm also not opposed to adding competition. If they don't want to do, oh, we're going to take another first rounder. Okay, fine. But still, in the mid rounds, you know, late two, three, four, like there are guys I think that I, I would like to add to this roster. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. You just had, like you said, even if it is a second round guy, I guess the third round guy got, I'm fine with it. Like, just, yeah. I, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm saying I'm fine with the hypothetical idea, not whoever they take at that position, because there may not be an option. I like it when I get into the, the draft, but it seems like there's going to be a good amount of quarterbacks that are interesting in this draft. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be a crazy idea that they could bring somebody in and, and see what that person's development or is, is capable of. So to me, that's the, that's the number two need. Uh, we both had OC, I guess, but that's the number two need for this team. They got to figure out that position and they don't have to necessarily have an answer this off season, but they have to start trying to find solutions. And Rudolph and Pickett coming back to compete is not a solution in any way, shape or form. That's just, you're asking to be the same type of team you were this year. There's nothing, nothing that moves the needle forward about those guys. And if you have two of them, well, you know, one of those guys is going to be a third stringer then if, if, you know, if you're, uh, if you bring both of them back and you bring somebody else in like, or, or the guy you bring in is going to be third stringer. And if it's an unserious you know player that you bring in. So I, I just feel like there's just not really room for Rudolph in the, in the way that I envision this quarterback room, they may see differently, but the way I envision the quarterback room moving, like it's just toward more of a higher ceiling than what he offers. I'll just throw this in too. We're, you know, we're not really a window chasing podcast and the Steelers, you know, obviously they, they are sustained above average to good for so long because they don't do this either. But you know, I've never even spoken about the fact that like Kim here going to be 36 years old next year. Like JJ Watts going to be, I think 30, like Deontay Johnson is going to the last year of his contract next year. Like, Again, I'm not saying therefore you should go all in because of the, the the guys I just mentioned, but like at a certain point you are there is something of a window with a generational talented defensive player in TJ Watt and some other really good important pieces, foundational pieces for the last decade. 
if you don't dramatically or if you don't approach quarterback as if you're going to you know turn over every leaf and try to find something that could have high upside you kind of are wasting like you know th- these years where you could be a legitimate contender or if not a contender a really good team that that develops a quarterback that takes this growth and kind of brings it into the future so um yeah that, that that's that's a big piece of it too mm-hmm. it is and uh, i just think even if you're bad, that's what people get so worried about that with coach, with quarterback. What if it's worse? What if it's worse? Okay. like And like, yeah. if you're not, this isn't getting it done. Like the idea is to compete for a championship. So then you just are bad and you pick high and then you have another possible answer. Like if, if the options they bring in aren't good and the thing falls apart and they pick in the top five, six, seven next year and that's and great. And then you have another option, the uh, opportunity to do it. But there's no, the, the worst possible thing is just staying mid tier. Like that's the worst possible thing. You have to be trying to get better. Sometimes in the process of doing that, you have to tear it down and then it comes back up. But it's just in the way that they're doing it right now, it's just trying to maintain this status quo of average. It's just killer, man. It's it's Saints-esque. It's purgatory. No, it, it, it's tough to accept two things. A, that the fastest path back to contention is maybe being bad and then being a contender as opposed to just continually being middling and then random flash in the pan a there's that then b not they would never tank but the word tanking to me i think a lot of people associate with like just like tell the players not to try that's impossible it's not how football works gms can tank they don't again they'll never say it they're not gonna like outright just like not try to find talent but say hey we're gonna give something of a mandate that play all the young guys and, and like you said it's sink or swim. There's the Buccaneers. Like we could joke, they spent four million dollars on Baker Mayfield. They had the biggest dead cap hit in the entire NFL, and they played a bunch. Of, like the offensive line was playing rookies. The defense was playing a bunch of young players. Undrafted guys were getting, and, and they've been good, but like getting a legitimate run, and they won a playoff game. Like yeah. they're now fat. This this you could argue they're not going to you know contend with this roster, but they're they they've answered so many questions. That the Steelers haven't even considered exploring. Um, I'll jump into my next one here, and, and it's and I know this is kind of something we go back and forth on, but like they need to challenge their processes in other ways as well. So we're talking about the split of the snaps. I don't even know if it is identifying who's a better player if they don't know that. I think it's more they do things how they've been done. Like Andy Weidel, I know Philly just got boat raced and embarrassed in the playoffs, but like he comes from an Eagles organization where they would find it insane to not play all their defensive linemen uh, uh, like uh, a more closer to the median level of snaps. Like they've been the platoon approach for a long time now. It's been very, very successful for them. Just like they're so stuck in their ways, both in football ways and non-football ways. You know, it was funny. People were joking when the Steelers scored to go down, they were down 14, they scored. And, and, and there was a bunch of tweets like, oh, Mike Tomlin failed the, you know, go for two down eight test. Mike Tomlin doesn't know what that is. I guarantee yeah. you, if you ask Mike Tomlin, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the the, the, the kind of the, the, the thing that nowadays is you're supposed to go for two there. He would say, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, yeah. but it sounds sorry to see you drop an F-bomb on the pod. I don't try to swear. But I think he literally really look at you and he'd walk off the podium like he did when Burke Pryor asked the question, like, and I'm not saying, but but it's funny, like, Mike Vrabel won a game this year by doing that. Like, Matt LaFleur, who got made fun of for the Bucks game where they kicked a field goal and it, when they were down eight in fourth and goal, he won a game this year by doing that. Like, you don't have to become 
Brandon Staley to 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 still improve. Todd Bowles was talking about Todd Bowles earlier. Todd Bowles went for it on fourth and two at midfield in the Eagles game. I mean, obviously, it was a blowout, but at that point, they were up a touchdown, I think. And, and it was they convert the fourth and two on the on the toss uh, to, to Rashad White. Great play from Canales, I thought too. Um, like you, you can still change a little without dramatically change. And just like we're not asking them to like have a computer that makes the decisions for them, but they just they refuse to challenge their processes right now. Yeah, that's a great call. Like they they have to get better at, at evaluating some of the stuff that they do, like in, in changing year to year. And that includes challenges, man. That includes like just in this past game. Like how do you look at what the situation is? You're down 21 to 7. You've got an opportunity with the Bills in second and 17 to stop the clock, get a stop, get off the field, get the ball back with 40-some seconds left probably. And have a chance to score, even get three points. Like that is huge. You cannot let a possession get away from you because you're scared. Oh, what if we give the Bills time who are deep in their own end? What if we give them time to get out of second and 17? Like you can't be that much of a coward. Like it's just clear what needs to happen. Like it is not a, I don't even think those things are up for debate anymore. Like in these circles, like, oh, what's the right approach here? No, it's, there's, you have to take the chance. Like you have to take the small chance that the Bills convert second and 17 and would get into scoring position when they're not even trying to necessarily do. They're probably, they probably run the ball in second and 17 if you took your time to make you go no timeouts and go whatever distance you need to go to score after they punt. Like that's honestly what the approach would probably be. And so, but the, you just being so scared that the small chance of what are second and 17 conversion rate across the league, like it's, it's just not high. Like I, we just know it's not high. Second and 10 conversion rate is not high. So, you, to, to be scared of that small chance more than you are the opportunity to actually go down and try and score and give yourself another possession to try and score. That's just, you can't do that stuff in, in any NFL, but especially in today's NFL where Dan Campbell's finding advantages. Todd freaking Bowles is finding advantages. He was as, he was as cowardly as Tomlin last year, but Bowles has gone to the drawing board and actually somewhat changed his process. He's not going to be, you know, Dan Campbell or Brandon Staley, one of these guys, you know, old Brandon Staley, but yeah. he is at the same time, like actually taking steps in the right direction and challenging his processes and then hiring an offensive coordinator who he wasn't buddies with and who he yep. had wasn't like there was any familiar tie with. It was a young guy who never called plays and he was just like, cool. I like you. I like a lot of the, your philosophies and stuff. We're going to try this. And like, we're going to go that way. And like, you have to give bulls as much as I've railed on bulls is you have to give him a ton of credit for that. Tomlin doesn't, show growth in those same ways so he's got to be able to do that in some of these carriers because he consistently does not find advantages for his teams on the margins and these other coaches are doing that i mean dan campbell i mean you could write a book about what he's done this season how many games he's won for this team because he believes in them trusts them and stays aggressive and they reward him with their play and maybe the Steelers wouldn't reward tom with their play until they were better as a roster maybe there would be failures but guess what like they would see that belief in you and get, yeah, maybe you wouldn't win some of uh, like a, a garbage game or something like that, or maybe you would lose a game here or there, but your process will be good. So eventually over time, you'll, when the Lions did this stuff early on, they would lose games sometimes because yep. they weren't good enough yet, but it called them up, right? They knew what they, the process was good. It was just players. We need to execute better. We need to develop better. We need a pl- better player here, better player there. It gives you opportunity to evaluate all of that stuff. But when you live for just, this cowardly way of let's hope we can hang in there till the end and let's finish, you know, 10 and seven, nine and eight, eight and nine, whatever. Like th- that's when that's the ceiling and that's the standard, then you just settle into these really conservative ways of, of doing things. And yet, so th- that's a good shout. They have to, have to challenge their processes. No doubt. The other one I have here is they need to actually spend this off season at cornerback. 
they need to get a really good player cornerback. It's it's kind of unfair to do what they did with Joey Porter Jr. this season as a rookie who they didn't even believe in to start the season to ask him to literally just be shadowing Stephon Diggs and shadowing Jamar Chase and doing all of these things at a really high level. I'm not saying like he shouldn't still be doing those things in the NFL, but the NFL's gotten away from a lot of that shadowing. Like there's not a lot of that players doing that around the league. They were so bad at the other spots that they had to ask him to do that as a rookie. And to his credit, he was awesome at it. You don't want to ask JPJ to do that every single week, every snap to the extent that they did this season. You want another quality corner. You want a guy that can actually play in different coverage schemes. You want a guy that you can move around, that can play in the slot. You want a guy who can do lots more things than what their current group can do, which is basically nothing. Like they, they, The hypothetical of Pat Pete was great, but the actual Pat Pete was terrible. And so that, but they need to find the actual version of what they were looking for. I think they have the right idea at corner. They're starting to prioritize like, length and size and things like that like i think there's some good in versatility there's some good things about that but overall like there's still big gaps in like that and the execution of what they've been able to acquire so far draft free agency all that stuff jpj is a massive hit if he's as continues to be as good as he's been because of how bad the team has been a corner and because they have nothing else on the roster like no doubt nobody else on the roster a corner should be on this team next year the team that's crazy like that you can look at your, how many other teams around the league would look at their cornerback room and be like, hmm, nobody should be on this team next year. Like the Steelers have one guy. Everybody yeah. else shouldn't probably be in the league next year. So right, they, right. They like not, we're not saying, we're not, saying not start. Like they should not yeah. be the CB six on the roster. <laughs> like, yeah, they, right. They have to spend at this position. I don't care if it's you acquire Jair Alexander in that contract. If you sign Jerry Sneed in free agency, you got to be the most aggressive team. Those two positions, quarterback and cornerback, you have to be the most aggressive team, I think, of finding those guys. Now, if you lose out, if let's say the Chiefs just re-signs need and Jair Alexander is they're asking for, a, for your first round pick for Jair Alexander or something like that. Okay, well, there's a point at which you can't be a part of those things. Then you just have to really nail the evaluation of whatever mid-tier corner you go after. Because I'm assuming, I'm saying I was assuming Jalen Johnson's definitely going back to the Bears, it seems like. So yeah. I think that that is just the biggest priority in the world for the Steelers right now is like getting those those through the OC, right? quarterback and then spending at cornerback everything else we can talk about is kind of another tier down but you have to be aggressive to fix this cornerback issue because what you put on the field this season was garbage and was not acceptable at the nfl level in my opinion no no it was absolutely not and, and just real quick just to you know people that will go on over the cap or whatever and look and say oh well, how are they supposed to do that uh just if you want to see how you can easily like clear room it's pretty easy they, they have a way to clear a bunch of room without even doing anything drastic Cutting players that don't play, like Allen Robinson and Chuck Sakura for why would they be on the roster? Um, you know, and right there you're clearing like fifteen million dollars between those two moves. Um, and then restructure a couple guys. Pat Pete probably cut. So anyway, so more just to say there is not really an excuse of like they don't have the resources to do it. I know we know they don't love going into free agency, but I think you have seen a, a change in philosophy there, which is good. Um, you know, they, like bringing in Somalia and all the pieces they did. It was probably one of the bigger free agent classes they've ever had. Uh, but, and again, they had, they had another good draft class, which is always great. You have all these rookie contract players supplementing your roster. I agree with you, though. Like, I think why you highlighted that is they could go patchwork at linebacker and safety. And again, like you said, don't add a 32-year-old that should not be in the NFL. But you can find a guy that, you know, makes it to the market from elsewhere that you can sign for $3, 4000000 million at those spots that are more than serviceable you kind of need to make a splash at corner. Um, I, right. I, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. So, um, and yeah, Jalen Johnson, I mean, the, the language from Chicago is, has been extremely strong. Like 
this guy is not going anywhere. You never know. Um, you know, missed the last game of the year with a shoulder injury. That's been his issue for kind of his whole career, the shoulder in particular. I think he's had two or three surgeries now on shoulders, and it was just from a routine tackle. He just threw his shoulder into a guy. It yeah. separated, and he didn't play the rest of the year. So anyway, I still think he's going to be back. Um, I guess we're getting specific now, but I mean, center, because it, it also just fundamentally changes the offense as well. But like, yeah. if you are going to hypothetically now, uh, I think while uh, I'll make it a larger point, you're either going to have Kenny or this rookie or this new guy. You need a center that is not only a better player than Mason Cole, but also a guy that you would trust to be calling out protections or identifying mics or doing different things to make your quarterback's jobs easier on top of just actually blocking and not being a turnstile, uh, which also makes his job easier. So it's a good free agent class. I'm always a big proponent on spending on non-premium positions like center. Um, I don't love the draft class all that much. There's some pieces there. Maybe you go that route too, whatever. But there are a lot of available centers. Um, I think you can get from mid-tier deals, six, seven, eight million dollars, maybe less. Uh, I think that is a, a big priority. I agree. You just have to have somebody that's just way better football. <laughs> it's just that simple. Uh, I'm not totally sure that guy would be yet. I like Graham Glasgow. He hasn't uh, played his best ball at center. I think he's been better at guard. Uh, I expect that to continue in his career. So I have to kind of look over the options a little bit and see. I mean, it won't be hard to find somebody I think better. One uh, name I'll throw at you. Yeah. Have you watched any Andre James at the Raiders? I haven't. No, I, I mean, I, in years past, but not this year at all. You like him? To me, he's a fit. Like there are a lot of the guys that are available are kind of like your outside zone type guys, which obviously, you know, I don't think would be a great fit. I frankly thought Mason Cole kind of fell in that bucket, but um, Andre James is a good, like good plus pass protector. He's not good at the second level. It's not his game, but like, I I don't really care. Like he's a good pass protector and a, and a fine inside zone gap run blocker. Yeah. The Oddish is out there. That would be a big upgrade, no doubt. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry played well this season in Denver. Um, I thought they took another step at least. You know, he's he's kind of moved in the right direction, a big, long center. Um, so there there are options out there. We'll talk more about those another time. But you're right. That has to be a, pr- a priority for this team. I don't think you have to spend big at this position, though. And I don't care if it's a rookie either. Like, most of the time you draft a rookie at center, like, they can play pretty much right away. And, and if they take a year to develop there, that that's totally fine with me. But – um, I would be totally fine with that. So I, I'm not, I don't care about the spending big part. I care about the spending big, like swing big at corner, um, you know, swing as big as you can at quarterback. I don't think it's going to be massive. And if it's a rookie and you know, that's what you're going for, that's what you're going for. But, um, but I think spending at corner is important. Spending at center, no, not, not a huge deal to me. Um, I don't think. And so that would be another priority that I would have outside of that. You know, I mean, I actually kind of am okay with the Steelers offensive line, provided they put Broderick back in his right spot. The, the, the other hangup here in the position will we'll kind of have a big question mark over, I think, for a little, for a couple weeks at least until we get more into the offseason is what's going to happen with the Steelers at tackle? Like, you just can't believe they're going to continue to be so dumb as to not play Broderick Jones on the left side. So does Dan Moore, like, is he a part of this thing? Um you know, long term. I, I just don't know like what their plan is there. They obviously like Dan Moore, but then there's the Chukso Korafor part of it. Like, could he just be? I mean, I it feels like that ship sailed, don't you think? Like, is that it's done? It's got to like, be is, sailed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is he going to get traded? I mean, does he? Do you think you get anything for him? They try and trade. They him? could get something for him. He's a starting caliber tackle. He's 27 years old. So yeah, I guess you get something for nothing crazy. But I, uh, you know, I guess you wouldn't want to cut him for yeah. you know whatever That's, happened. 
assuming they would have already cut him if they were if they felt that if way. it was that bad you'd think so yeah so dan moore's under contract what one more season right in pittsburgh 2024 yep. um so it'd be hard for me to imagine how a team could do that but again three years of him starting so you really can't put it past in any way like this team to continue to do that but that's another one like hypothetically they if they just done the right thing this year and kept and started chooks again and then put Broderick Jones on the left side, you probably would have seen both those guys play fine and you would feel fine about that duo going to next season. But because they screwed up the Chooks thing and Dan Moore's bad and you have to play Broderick on the left side and you you know the natural right tackle and Chooks isn't an option now. And so they kind of just totally messed it up. Um, any chance they had of being able to have two two tackles? Well, I don't, I'm not going to say they're good, but maybe solid if Broderick Jones played his right position he might be good um so i think you screwed up an opportunity to have that i think it'd be a be a part of your rebuilding roster which i think could be big now Tukes isn't great so you can still upgrade from him perhaps there's a veteran out there that fits and that makes sense uh i don't know if you want to get into the trent get into the trent brown uh, sweepstakes given brown's inconsistency and year to year but he did have a good year this year he's one of the only patriots he's so, good he's talented yeah, yeah that's not the issue. he is talented i just you have no idea and the and the and the in a, a locker room that has the steelers lack of accountability i'm not sure that that's a guy you want to bring in um to that space so yeah we'll, have, we'll names will be something we explore more down the road but these are just like as we see the roster like hypothetically if the right options are available these would be areas we go i just don't know quite what's going to happen at tackle this offseason so that would obviously be a big need that would jump up there if they lost somebody, but other than that, like we you know, running back set wide receiver, you have to find a third guy. And I think that does matter. Um, but that wouldn't be like one of the, my top priorities, I think going into the off season. Um, the good news I there my, too is I think you can get a wide receiver three in the fourth round of this draft. So like this is yeah. a loaded draft class at receiver. Right. So, right. So one of my top off season priorities would just be like seeing what you can get for, for players, I think that are on the edges of your roster that you're not going to, you know, can you get something for, if you're not going to use Chukes, can you get something for him? Um, you know, if you're not going to use Dan Moore, can you get something for him? Uh, you know, I would just be trying to explore those things, adding later picks, uh, day three picks and trying to see if I can jump up. Um, the Steelers don't, I think have a ton of players to fit that bill or would be assets in that way. Uh, but I would be trying to get yourself in position, accumulate more day three picks so that if you see a guy you really need, uh, maybe you can jump in and, and add a pick somewhere else or jump up from the third or something like that. The Steelers, they don't really have, like I would love to see at this point in time, like them just have way more assets, I feel like, um, in the draft. They've kind of got their picks, you know, 20, 51, 84, 119. They have 120, that Rams pick. Um, so they have those two in the fourth that are going to be like mid to late fourth. Um, but and they don't have like a ton of needs necessarily. But it would be nice to just be, again, be in position to gather as many day three assets as you can so that you can eventually jump up in the draft when you need to because those are the things that allow you to jump up and grab a, you know, a broader Jones. Whether he's good or not remains to be seen, but a player you really like. Yeah, well, you know, like you said, him playing on the appropriate side or his comfortable side would probably t- tell us a lot. I also think it's a good tackle class too. So both of those spots, they don't right. go quarterback, which you and I probably, if you inject this with true serum, don't expect them to use a first-round pick on a quarterback. I think tackle or receiver, you're getting a guy that could play pretty much right away. So I think they could on a quarterback, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll We'll see. Time to get to that. All right. That's uh, probably good for today because I know we got a scoot here, but uh, that was kind of give you an idea of like where our thoughts on the game and then where we kind of see the team priority wise heading into the offseason. So we'll continue to unpack more of these. We're going to look at each positional group and kind of review them as we get into the offseason. We'll be back later in the week. 
we'll kind of keep it fluid. Uh, what we're going to talk about maybe on Thursday this week, because it's just what's going to happen with Tomlin. Is he going to say anything? Like there's kind of some things that hopefully some news breaks. And so we may address some of that stuff. Not, we'll start diving into off season stuff, maybe even draft stuff at some point. I got edge rusher takes that doesn't really apply to the Steelers right now, but I'm starting, I'm starting Brad. I got, I got a couple edge rushers in the books on my tape review. Hell so yeah. I'm, I'm excited, but as always all off season, we're going to be here. So like, free agency content, all that stuff. We got you covered. So until then, we appreciate y'all. Thanks so much for listening and spread the word too. Tell let people know uh, about the podcast, where they can find us. And uh, we'll catch y'all again next time on another episode of the Yin's No Ball podcast.